0: Welcome to Mortification of Spin. Today we're going to tackle a ticklish subject. We're going to deal with one of what I would consider to be one of the great modern cliches, now one of the great modern Christian (laughs) cliches, and that is the notion of social justice. Social justice is a bit like poverty. It's a word that's banded around as if the meaning is self-evident. And yet when you sit back and reflect... Upon exactly what it means, it is not entirely clear. And indeed, the history of the term itself is somewhat involved and convoluted. So, we want to talk about social justice today. What is it? Is it possible to define it? Is it any business of the church? Many of the readers of our blog will know that Todd Pruitt is a man of great sensitivity and nuance on this issue, and so I'm going to throw it straight over to Todd at this point. Uh, Todd, what would you like to say that will totally offend most of our listeners? And uh, And
2: here's a shovel.
1: (laughs) Well, as you know, I like to avoid controversy at all costs, but yeah, I agree with you that uh, social justice is a cliche in that it's very, very hard to define. In fact, in all my efforts to get people who are using it favorably as in something we need to be actively pursuing. I cannot get anyone to actually define it well for me, what it is, what are the purposes of it? How does it relate to the church's mission exactly? I I cannot get clear answers, and I'm not trying to be coy. I mean, I'm genuinely asking because I can't find it defined. Now, certainly we know that justice is spoken of in Scripture. God is a just God. He condemns unjust kings, and so we know this. We know that God loves justice. It's a part of who he is, and we ought to care about justice. What I don't understand is what exactly social justice means, and what concerns me about that is that it's become very, very popular increasingly. Popular among conservative evangelicals, and um, in my own denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, we're seeing it among people who identify themselves as Reformed and that kind of thing. And again, I just want to see a careful definition applied to it. What is the goal? Is the goal um, government action? Is the goal me being a better neighbor? What exactly is the goal, and how does it relate to the
0: church's mission? it's interesting. Uh, I mean, the origins of the term... Uh, we really find it in in the philosopher Aristotle. Uh, you know, justice for Aristotle was giving each person his due, mm-hmm. and that became a a more complicated matter in times of crisis, in times of war, for example times when the political structures of the city, of the polis, were breaking down. The question would be raised, you know, what does justice look like in this more general context? Mm -hmm. And so you have the development in Aristotle and then on into the Middle Ages of the concept of general justice, which is attempting to address the issue of what Fairness, giving each person his due, looks like in a broad social context when the the standard structures or the standard mechanisms of of individual justice are starting to break down. So it has its origins in classical thought. I think what we see today is that the term has, and again, here I'm going to use a a rather loaded way of putting it, but I think the term has been hijacked Mm -hmm. by a liberal political tendency to provide what one might say almost a sort of, of, of an objective ethical foundation for certain liberal predilections or, or, right. or temptations. Put it in its most crudely, one might say that social justice often seems to mean in the way that it's banded about on, on the internet. And of course, everybody on the internet is, we know, is a highly nuanced uh, thinker. <laughs> the way the term is banded around, it seems to mean racial fairness, for right. want of a better right. word. The term has become vaguer than it was historically and has come to be more narrowly focused, particularly North America at this moment in time, on issues of Racial tension and struggles between the races. It's interesting to me. I could take you to a well-known church in
1: Manhattan that belongs to my denomination, but I won't name the church. And you will find that the pastor there recently signed that document, you know, really challenging President Trump's executive order on the temporary kind of limitation of immigration from certain Countries that actually the Obama administration had identified as troublesome. And you know, you had well known evangelicals that signed that statement together, condemning that executive order. And this well known pastor from the church in Manhattan added his name to that list. Interestingly, though, in that same city, 80% of African American children who are conceived have their lives ended in the womb through abortion. And that same church, there is a conscious decision. That they don't say anything about abortion, they don't have any materials in their areas where they carry various materials on abortion, lest they offend some people who might come to their church, some secular people from Manhattan who might visit their church. Now, I find that to be a rather novel way of being about justice, (laughs) being very willing to add your name to a document that isn't going to get you any criticism In Manhattan, but being silent on what is clearly, if you want to talk about a justice issue, let's talk about 80% of African-American babies conceived in New York whose lives are ended in abortion. But we're going to be silent on that, lest we offend. Now, I say all that to say there is an extraordinarily selective application, it seems to me.
2: I think we're kind of all selective if we're being social justice advocates. Like when I think of that term... And how I've seen it used, according to my own definition I've put together, then in my head, it seems to be used today to help the oppressed. And so that's why a lot of the time you'll see it discussed with racial language or with gender or with sex trafficking, fostering. And there was a comment made to me that I kind of sat back and thought, you know, it was kind of an accusation against the Reformed Church not caring about Mm -hmm. social justice and not speaking out about social justice and why isn't that and i'd like to see more of that and i kind of sat back and i i just kind of pictured my own opc church and all of the people in my church and and the different things that they do to help the oppressed and i thought you know wow we have families in our church you know adopting and fostering disabled children they're just
1: not on twitter every day telling everybody about it there's
2: all kinds of ways and and mission work i mean Mm -hmm. you know what we put into missions there and and all the different things and i thought i would hate to say that about my brothers and my sisters in my church because it's not true they they care very much for the oppressed but i think that just the way i understood it i've always looked at that issue more caring for the oppressed as you know, we've got the, the two laws, love God with all your heart and mm-hmm. all your mind and all your soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that that falls under, you know, loving our neighbor. Sure. And that's something that we can talk about with unbelievers too, because, you know, everybody was created by God and we're, we're all called to love our neighbor. And the thing that's challenging about that, because I agree with you, is that you can't leave that in the world of the
1: abstract or, right. or the government program.
0: You actually have to put feet and hands to that. It's a personal call. Exactly. We've got a quotation here from Michael Novak in his uh, recent book, the late Michael Novak Mm -hmm. in his recent book. It was his last book on social justice. In most modern progressive usage, the cry for social justice is not a cry for greater virtue on the part of the citizenry. Indeed, the citizenry is deemed to lack sufficient virtue to such an extent that the state must intervene and effect by coercion the redistribution that individuals lack the virtue to effect on their Mm -hmm. own. That's a powerful statement. And I would wonder set that over against the background of the critique that a philosopher like Alastair McIntyre has made of contemporary society, that we have lost the grand ethical narrative that allows us as as a society to have constructive ethical conversations. Mm. And I would also want to add a second aspect of that and say another part of the problem is justice traditionally and historically is a function of a virtuous citizenry. Right. Mm -hmm. That you cannot ultimately legislate justice in the truest sense of the word. You have to produce a citizenry, a society of people who are virtuously Mm -hmm. just. Mm -hmm. So... You can riot on as many streets as you want. You can join as many lobby groups as you want. You can sign as many petitions as you want. But the problem of justice is much deeper than the symptomatic issue of, say, racism or something like that, that people are addressing head on. What we're really seeing in the vacuous way social justice is being used as a term now is the vacuous nature of moral society. There is no real content it seems to me to modern society or no agreed moral content that allows us actually to give any meaningful content to the term social justice whatsoever and i think you can find that when you ask people so what do you mean by social justice do you mean equality of opportunity do you mean equality of outcome those are two different things and you have to achieve them in different ways what do you mean by justice is it opportunity is it outcome it's a very very basic question
1: exactly and and that's part of the struggle is that everybody i ask about this and i press on this gives me different definitions of justice it's interesting because if achieving social justice is about me as a christian living as a christian among my neighbors i.e back to your point amy Mm -hmm. the the great commandment that's just like the greatest commandment loving my neighbor then that becomes something that i shouldn't be out tweeting about or signing petitions about it's about typically rather private behavior good works done without a spotlight on it i'm not going to get credit for it that kind of thing is that how we go about it or or is it about lobbying politicians now i think that it's perfectly appropriate in various ways for christians to speak to our elected officials we're citizens in a free society but how much of this are we going to make The church's mission. In other words, how much of the gospel or how much of the Great Commission is going to get collapsed into this nebulous idea of social justice? There's a church in a well known Reformed denomination that operates a politically liberal political action committee out of their church's offices. I don't even know how much of the membership of the church realizes that that's going on. But it's a political action committee that promotes the most left wing of causes. On its website, it's interfaith, not interdenominational, but interfaith, promotes LGBTQ, et cetera, et cetera. And this is being operated out of a church office in an ostensibly conservative reformed denomination. Point I'm making by that is it's justified on the grounds of, quote, social justice.
2: Now, i I would say, and maybe I'm getting back on my confusion of kingdom soapbox here, uh-huh, but uh-huh. I mean, there's certainly a place for a pastor to preach against much oppression absolutely know, from the Word of God in his in his um sermons,
1: if you're preaching through Amos and pre- you should, preach it. you know you should
2: absolutely do that and and to bear the fruit of the Word of God, to yes. be sent out into the world and to love justice, yes. you know, and to love mercy mm-hmm. too, but um. If we're going to confuse our kingdom as citizens there, as the church's call to then mix with the government in that way, then we have a lot of confusion of categories, I think, because as a citizen in the secular world, I can work with unbelievers, mm-hmm. you know, who have very different views from me mm-hmm. on a cause that I feel very strongly sure. about, you know, and, and I'm happy to sign petitions sometimes sure. and, to, you know, to do all those things. But um, there's so many areas where we can serve in that way, and and which it's good to do yeah. without watering down the mission of the church. Right, and so like we need that as Christians, we need that core gospel right. as our foundation to help send us out then into the world as salt and as light, and to serve alongside in those ways. Yeah,
1: I need the church to continue to be centered and focused on the gospel and the ordinary means of grace Mm -hmm. that's what i need
2: because there's that sin that's in our own heart um, that needs to be addressed every sunday Mm -hmm. um and we don't want to confuse the sin that's out there which is horrible too
1: yeah but it's easier for me to talk about and not look at the sin in my own heart it's easier for me to talk about societal quote
0: systemic Mm -hmm. sins than it is about the sin in me. Mm-hmm. It's easier to love humanity as a general concept yeah. than mm-hmm. it is to love the human beings and that you live sin becomes what's out and there and door. what those people are right. doing, yeah. exactly. Yeah,
2: and, and in place of you know the yeah. evil in my own heart. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think we should not underestimate the transformative power of the pure gospel. Yes, the yeah. declaration of. The life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, when applied to the heart by the Holy Spirit, transforms us. Yes. Track that back to what I was saying a few moments ago about justice is ultimately a function not of legislation but of a virtuous citizenry. Right. I think we could say as Christians, Christians should be the best and the most virtuous of all citizens. Precisely because they've been transformed. Right by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is not to say that Christians are the only virtuous citizens. Mm -hmm. There are virtuous atheists, virtuous Jews. Mm -hmm. Goodness sake, there are virtuous Mormons. Everybody Mm -hmm. loves it when the Mormons move next door because your house prices go (laughs) up. Because they're they're lovely, clean-living people. They're virtuous citizens. But there's no reason why somebody proclaiming the simple, pure gospel each week should not be seen as doing their bit for Social justice, Absolutely. because they are transforming the citizenry mm-hmm. into being virtuous Christians, mm-hmm. and that will play out in society. The person who loves their neighbor as themselves is not going to be a racist. Right. Is right. And not if you're going preaching that children.
2: as a church, yeah. and you are racist, then there's a huge problem. And there's a problem. There's a total it disconnect. It should be pointed out.
0: We interviewed
1: Rosaria Butterfield, and she told a story about her neighbor who was— arrested person that they labored over for a year or more just to try to make a connection to before he'd be willing to walk a dog with them and share a meal with them and he made some really bad choices committed some crimes was arrested but since going to prison has come to know christ they visit him the kids in their household write letters Mm -hmm. to him if that's social justice Mm -hmm. then i'm on board sign me up but there's more social justice wrapped up i would suggest in that story of a neighbor loving that lost neighbor towards christ than any amount of virtue signaling on yeah. twitter or petition
0: signing could ever accomplish yeah yeah the other thing the other side of this as well is we got to be careful that social justice does not become a function of the wider culture of our politics. One of the things that worries me is in the current way that our cultural logic operates in politics, as soon as somebody is identified as a victim, Mm -hmm. they are absolved of all moral responsibility. And as soon as somebody sets themselves up as the representative or the advocate of a victim, they too are absolved of all moral responsibility. The amount of self-righteousness that flows from the social justice sections of the Christian world is really quite striking. Yes, I mean, apart from everything else, Christ, of course, himself says that you shouldn't do your deeds of righteousness in front mm-hmm. of other people, yeah. which raises all kinds of questions for me about the virtue signalling that goes on incessantly on Twitter. But here is a challenge for Christians: the whole notion of victimhood in sin. Who is the ultimate mm. victim in racism? It's God.
1: Against you and you only yeah, have I sinned. Against you
0: and you only have I sinned. And everybody, black, white, yellow, stands condemned before right. God as sinning against him. And compared to that sin, all of the horizontal sins that are committed in this world fade in comparison. Yes. And that's a note that I just don't hear. No. I just don't hear that. No, And that's one of the reasons why
1: when a church becomes obsessed with social gospel as As a reason for its being, what they ultimately lose is the gospel itself. And how many times does the church have to learn that lesson? It's not like this has never happened before. It's not like the church, Presbyterians in particular, one of the groups that have been affected by this in the past, It's not like we have no experience in embracing a, quote, a a social gospel only to find out that we end up replacing the gospel itself. How many times does this have to happen? And now we have a new group of voices saying that's not going to happen this time, but it's already happening because I'm already now seeing examples where the gospel is being defined and collapsed into social justice. The gospel has become in some vocabularies equivalent to quote racial reconciliation or or social gospel so we're already seeing it happen
2: because it's not going to help those who are oppressed
1: no it's not at all it will not offer a real liberty and part of the liberty is that when the person who has been oppressed learns how to leave vengeance to god Mm -hmm. and learns how to live that in this life you know what justice may not be done now that doesn't mean where it can be done it should be done and Christians ought to And we call should call for that. For that. Absolutely. I mean, we're not saying that we shouldn't call Ab- for it, that. Absolutely. But we must never expect to get the kind of justice that will be seen in the age to come. We must never. I got real depressed a few weeks ago when I started looking at a series of church websites, churches that have been newly planted within the last two years or so by a well-known church planting organization connected to a denomination that, that i won't name but as i was going through these these websites of these, talking about the opc of, yeah, oh assume, yes obviously the that? opc of, of these new church plants and i was looking at one right after another as i was looking at their vision statements over and over again i saw things like we exist to renew the city we renew the city what i didn't see was anything about evangelism conversion the lost's need for christ The Great Commission,
0: I saw Renew the City, Mm. Renew the Arts. Um, Tremendous themes in the writings of Paul, I think, Renewing the Arts and uh, Renewing the City. Every every other verse in in the New Testament.
1: And that's what I was seeing. So we're already seeing in the Reformed-ish, the Reformed-ish, a collapsing of the gospel into this nebulous social renewal project.
2: Which is really sad because it's like I don't want to speak out against social renewal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a good itself. thing itself. Right, that is a
0: civic good. Mm-hmm. But right. the way the church plays into that is by being the church, right. the church we proclaiming the gospel and seeing lives our incrementally our transformed right. by the work of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. Right. You cannot legislate New Testament righteousness. Right. You cannot.
1: Yep. And the ordinary means of grace have always seemed weird, futile, and foolish. In Paul's day, Paul refers to the foolishness of his preaching. There was not a time in Jesus' day, in the days of the apostles, when what the church was called to do seemed
0: really relevant. (laughs) <laughs> and this is the point of 2 Corinthians, of course, because in 2 Corinthians, Paul is having to justify the pathetic outward look of his own ministry. Exactly. But the important point is, he's not doing it to justify himself. What he's actually saying in 2 Corinthians is the outward form of my ministry is directly connected to the content of the gospel. Exactly. Not that every pastor will experience the suffering I do, but in my case, the outward weakness is connected to the truth of the gospel. Right. So if you criticize me for being weak and impotent mm-hmm. by the standards of the world around, what you're actually doing is criticizing the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And again, that is a very serious warning yeah. to those who would say, well... You know, something to the effect of the old gospel isn't enough. Right. Yes, it is. Right. It was enough, actually, to overturn the Roman Empire. <laughs> That's right. It was enough to that. Martin Luther made the point in the Reformation. He did nothing other than preach the word right. or sit around drinking beer with Philip and Amsdorf while the word of God right. did more damage to the papacy than anything in history. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense in which some of this social justice talk, I suspect, reflects a lack of faith yes. and a lack of confidence yes. in the power of the preached word, the sacraments administered, and the church as the body of Christ. And again, you, you mentioned Second Corinthians, you look at
1: First Corinthians, where Paul opens up that letter with a defense of the content of his message, which was the cross. Again, a foolish sounding message. We would call it irrelevant today. And part of the reason he has to do that is that the church discovered these wonderful new teachers who offered something much more relevant than Paul was giving them. So Paul is defending this weak-sounding, foolish-sounding method and methodology in contrast to these guys who offered the church something much more exciting, much more fulfilling. So the fact that the message of the cross and the ordinary means of grace are weak and foolish— is
0: nothing new. Yeah. And I mean, if you say, you point people to Colossians, you know, focus your mind on things that are above, Yeah, the immediate pushback you'll get is, so you don't care about the poor. Right. Well, yes I do. Well, your church doesn't care about the poor. Well, have you talked to the deacons right. in my church? Right. Have you been to my church? I may not write about it but on that's the why web, we care but have about you actually seen? Right. Have you actually seen what my church is? And also, as, as Amy has just commented, by reflecting upon the things above, by being heavenly-minded, mm-hmm. it actually makes you more useful in this world. Mm-hmm. That's Paul's point. Focus on the things of this world, and you are doomed to irrelevance. Right. Mm-hmm. Focus on the things above, and guess what? You will become a godly, virtuous Christian who will impact your community. You may not, you know, sign a petition. You may not send out a tweet. But you may actually have an impact on real human beings in your community, and that's critical.
1: Exactly. You know, there's there's part of me that would love to tweet um, the the various things that. Pe- there's
0: no part of me that would love to tweet <laughs> full stop, but full would love stuff. to to
1: put out a list of the things that people in the church I serve do on a weekly it's basis.
2: Amazing! I've been to your yep. church.
1: Budget stuff that is dedicated to the meeting of needs. Uh, people who are invested heavily in the immigrant community, the and their own expense. personal safety at times, who do this on a weekly, daily basis in our church. But it's unseemly to get out there and do that. And so, you know, Amy, you said earlier this whole thing of, well, you know, the Reform church just isn't caring about this. Well, I'm sure there are plenty of churches. They're not tweeting about We're, it. Yeah. That's you know, what, that's yeah. what it I, I'm, I'm sure there are some churches out there that, that don't care a lot about this. My experience, though, is that more churches are involved. The churches I'm aware of, the friends I have in pastoral ministry, I see churches doing wonderful work. They're just not broadcasting it out yeah, there.
2: And it's good to encourage churches to be involved in social work like that. And I'll say, though, all of these things
1: that we do are all platforms that we use to get the gospel to people mm-hmm. because the gospel is at the center of our calling. The good works are things that we do to honor the Lord and love our neighbor, but we do so to gain a
0: hearing for the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we've barely scratched the surface of a very complicated issue. Mm -hmm. If I was to summarize, I'd want to say this. One, do not underestimate the power of the ordinary gospel to transform. Two, I would say do not assume that the meaning of social justice is a universal given. Mm. It's a complicated term. It has a history. It is, or should be, contested in terms of its meaning today. And for that reason, we're going to offer as our giveaway this week a a book that is perhaps a little bit heavier than the typical giveaways we provide, but the subject requires that. There's so much superficial social justice thinking out there. To be honest, if you can tweet it, it's not deep thought. (laughs) It's not deep thought. Please don't confuse it. If you read it on Wikipedia, it's not deep thought. What you need to do is read a solid and learned discussion, both of the history of the term and of the political, philosophical, cultural implications and parameters of the term. And so this week's giveaway is Michael Novak and Paul Adams' book, Social Justice Isn't What You Think It Is. It's not an easy read. But it is, I think, probably one of the most important texts written on the definition of social justice in recent years. So if you'd like to go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, and see how you can sign up for the possibility of winning a free copy of that. If you're not lucky enough to win a free copy, order it from Amazon. Get it from your local library. This is an extremely important book, learned book for you to read and meditate upon. In the meantime, please remember that we are a donor-supported podcast. You will find instructions, no doubt, on how to give us your money on the website. In the meantime, we uh, look forward to being with you on our next program. Thank you. Just a little old-fashioned karma coming down A little old-fashioned justice going round A little bit of sowing and a little bit of reaping, a little bit of laughing and a little bit of weeping. Just a little old-fashioned karma coming down, coming down, coming down. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin.
2: Although,
1: Wawa makes a good sandwich. It's the one thing I miss about here is Wawa.
2: You don't have the no Wawa?
1: We don't have we have sheets. Poor man's wawa.
2: Yeah, we have more we have more sheets.
1: We don't have a single wawa. Need some wawa. Wawa wawa is one of the great wonders of the modern world. Absolutely is. That little shake machine